0: superstitious, but I am a little stitious.
1: Barons win! Barons win! Cody Jansen stopped 92 out of 95 shots, including a penalty shot in overtime. Somehow he still only wound up the third star of the game. You like that? Jansen has a heart. You're smoking crack!
2: Alrighty, it is Wednesday. February 23rd, Cody Jansen with you, coming to you live from the Pro Rock broadcast studios. It's World Hockey Report Live. 12 ounce sports, the hockey podcast network is where we're coming to you from. And boy, nothing short to talk to. We'll wrap up the Olympics today in about, uh, let's say, 15 minutes' time. Julie Stewart Binks from Fubo TV. Of course, she's worked everywhere from Fox. CTV Regina, if you're a Sasky person watching right now, uh, a little bit of bar stool, a little bit of everywhere. So Julie Stewart-Binks is going to come wrap up the Olympics with us in about 15 minutes' time, and then Adam Trout to wrap it up at about uh, 12.40 or so Mountain Standard Time. We'll talk some NHL, cover the Oilers, cover the Flames, the Leafs have made some moves. Still think it's kind of a rough one from them. If you're uh, curious about scores last night in the NHL, if somehow you missed that, well, we'll break it down from you. Jordan Binnington. Now, that's an interesting one. Blues fans want to say, oh, he's got his swagger back. They're playing Philly. I mean... You know, let's, let's maybe just pump the brakes a little bit. I'm a big Bennington fan, but you beat Philadelphia. Makes 21 saves. Blues win 4-1. Quickly, Columbus 4-3 over Toronto. Nashville beats Florida 6-4. Uh, the Islanders beat Seattle 5-2. Anaheim over San Jose 4-3 in a shootout. And, of course, the Minnesota Wild. They stink. They lose 4-3 to the Ottawa Senators. It's kind of embarrassing. Okay, the the, the big news though and it, and it was sad news to break today and we do have to open up the show with it. Uh Leafs prospect, their first uh rounder, Rodian Amarov uh diagnosed with a brain tumor. It's tough. I mean, you know, the kid's going to battle. The kid's he that's that's what he's going to do. That, that's, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to him. It's terrible news. No one ever wants to, to see this happen. You'd never want to go through this. End of the day, I mean, we're lucky with all the medical and, and advancements that healthcare has made for us in this world that, you know, you hope he can get back to 100% healthy and play in the game he loves. It's, that, that's number one. It's, you know, get, get healthy first. And we'd love to see him back on the ice soon. But again, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to him, the Young Leafs prospect there with the brain tumor. And on a lighter note as well, kind of breaking the waves in the hockey world, clown Sean Avery's back. Guy's going to play in the ECHL for the Orlando Solar Bears this weekend. I'm not exactly sure why, in a sense. Like he, he kind of said, like, oh, the coach or the owner, somebody grew up watching, and so he wants to, he owes it to him that he thinks that that's the route he should take. He's like, oh, you know, I knew the guy from, like, the first Leaf scheme I went to. I don't know. It's a little little fishy, if you ask me. Some, something's up there. Maybe it's just a big publicity stunt. He might take one shift, and then all of a sudden it's, okay, yep. That's I, And, again, join the conversation anytime. The Hockey Podcast Network, 12-Ounce Sports, is where you're watching on right now. L- let me know. I, I mean, do you like the publicity stunt? I we're going to get roasted for this one. It's exactly what the Quebec team was trying to do with Marie-Philippe Poulin. It's a publicity stunt. They say, "Hey, come play for us." You know, they're going to make 100 grand in jersey sales, ticket sales, all of that in a weekend if MPP suits up in the East Coast Hockey League. That's what it is from a business standpoint, it's genius. No wonder they're going for it. Same thing with Sean Avery. They're going to get more eyeballs. They're going to get more asses in seats. This guy's a clown. He's a character. He's all over the internet. So I'm sure they chucked him a pretty nice check to say, hey, at least come pretend like you want to play hockey again. We'll see where it goes. I'm interested in the sideshow, though. Matt Barnaby as well has chimed in, said sign him up. So I think they're playing the Florida Everglades tonight. Doubt Avery's going to be playing that. And this weekend they play the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. What a name. What a name. Only in the cheeser. So we'll see. I guess I'm a little curious to, to find out if Sean Avery plays, but I'm more curious to find out if Matt Barnaby actually suits up. So I had to fight him for a while. That would be fun. Avery's 41. He last played back in 2012. Uh, so, some NHL news I did want to touch on, and again, get your comments in conversation. You can join it right now. Nathan McKinnon, he's not going to be suspended. He's not going to be fined for slashing a referee. And I get it. It's an accident. But in a sense, when Weidman hit the ref, wasn't that an accident? Like, you can't tell me he went out of charge attempting to hit a ref. No, I mean, sometimes you're seeing stars and Nathan McKinnon takes a full-out swing and he hits a ref and there's nothing about it? Like, an accident can't get you a fine? If you accidentally elbow someone in the chops and knock out all their teeth, it still gets you a penalty. You still get punished for it. Oh, but it was an accident. I don't know. I I think you got to set the precedent here that, star or not, you can't be taking swings, and you can't be doing that around refs. If you're taking a swing, you're hitting a ref with your stick. I mean, that's just embarrassing. And the NHL just to say, well, you know, he intended to slash the other guy, so it's fine. Got a few issues with that one. But, uh, again, you can let me know your thoughts anytime. It's Cody James and World Hockey Report here. Other news from this week, the Olympics. Obviously, I mean, Finland... They win gold. And then you got the old double IHF president Rene Fasel going and spouting off saying, Oh, Finland plays a boring style. You know, it's it wasn't great for the game. Like, shut up. That's that's the issue with it. It's it's you know, it's the old white boys club that's running things like the double IHF, and it comes down to Things as simple as it took him five months to suspend Andre Daniskin. And that one came down where he gets suspended for a year from all international play. Although right after the fact, he did actually play international games in Poland with Team Ukraine. So, again, there, there's no accountability there. The Double IHF, it's the same thing as the IOC. It's just an old boys club. They're not going to change. We shouldn't be surprised that it took him five months to suspend this kid for a year. From the date of the actual incident. So we won't dive down that rabbit hole. I think you guys understand where I'm coming from. Interesting though to stick overseas. Is Yoker at Helsinki fans. Talking about boycotting the KHL. If Russia does invade Ukraine. You know they they want out out of the KHL. They're saying hey. We're ready to boycott. If you guys keep playing in the KHL next year. Interesting conversation. I, I don't hate them. It's, it's a political move, but again, at some point in time, you kind of got to use those powers to say, is this in our best interest? And for the Finnish fans, they're like, hey, if we don't agree with what Russia's doing, if we don't agree with human rights violations, if we don't agree with them invading Ukraine, we don't want any part of it. We don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. So I have no issue with Joker fans, and I honestly respect them a lot more because they have the guts can't say stones to do so. So That is good to see on that behalf. Also, Oilers there in Tampa Bay tonight. It's kind of a test, and it's a long road trip for them. Where you get Tampa, you get Florida. I think you get Carolina as well. See, so you're getting the big. You know, you're getting the big ones, but still, you got to close it out. I think you got to play Philly and Columbus as well. And you're almost more scared for those. Like the Oilers, they're going to get up for the top teams. They've always done that. They'll play up to their competition. They'll also play down to their competition. So it kind of scares you if they let you know a couple of those points slip. And I think it was Craig McTavish who was talking about it too. He said something similar where, you know, McDavid, Dreisaitl, they're going to play up to their competition no matter what. And everyone follows suit. But also... If they think they can take a game off because they're playing Philly or Columbus, everyone's still going to follow suit and they're going to be in trouble. So we'll be interesting. Tampa, obviously, huge favorites. Mike Smith gets to start tonight. Elsewhere in the NHL, Dallas hosts Winnipeg, Buffaloes, and Montreal. Is is Montreal good? Maybe we'll have to dive into that with Adam Urban Trout. Cole Caulfield, Gold Caulfield, he's back. Marty St. Louis seemed to be turning that team around a little bit. Well, they host Buffalo. Detroit gets Colorado. Colorado, obviously, huge favorites there. And Arizona at home against LA. So I'm interested. I mean, if if you're Arizona and they're dishing off players, I mean, they keep getting closer to that cap floor. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. Is that a team? And after all the punishment they've got, do they consider taking on some big contracts in return for draft picks? Like, if you're Arizona, do you consider taking, I don't know, in for Vemelka? And then if the Oilers throw in, like, a uh, first is too much. A second? And maybe a low-end prospect? Someone in Bakersfield, maybe an Olivier ring just as another goaltending prospect to, you know, replenish the shoots. Like, is that something Arizona is going to start doing or, or can they not do that because they're playing out of a junior hockey rink for the next, you know, five years? interesting to see where that goes again maybe we'll get adam's thoughts on that he's the nhl expert we'll catch up with him later on down the road after the break we got to wrap up the olympics so julie stewart binks is coming on the canadian woman referral i mean it's if you look at the tv numbers i think they average 2.7 million now now i'm throwing out rough numbers i think it's 2.7 million in canada and 3.4 million in the states that's not prime time. This is a game that started at 11.15 Eastern Standard Time. Wrapped up at 2.30 in the morning. No, maybe it was 1.30. One thirty, two o'clock in the morning. Like, those are crazy numbers. And, and there's eyesight. There's eyes on the women's game. It's great. It's awesome for the sport. And and then the, the exact same conversation comes up. We knew this was going to be the biggest watched event at the Olympics. We knew it. The rest of the Olympics sucked. It was boring. No one's getting up at three in the morning to watch Skeleton. So we knew what it was going to be. And we have the exact same conversation time and time again. Well, why, you know, if this many people are watching, why can't they do this? Well, it's because if you put the regular league in front of those same eyes, they change the channel. I'm sorry. Go look at the PHF's Twitter Twitch numbers. They talk about, oh, well, look, look at how successful we had with this. I mean, they got games with 800 viewers on Twitch this year. They're playing a 20-game season. They're, no one's taking that seriously because they don't have the best players in the world. The best players in the world are playing in the PWHPA. It's not hard. It's not rocket science here. The PHF doesn't have it. And so, I mean, people are going to come after and say, oh, well, you know, you you slandered them because this Minnesota Whitecaps owner wants to sell. And he's saying that's because the, the league wants different owners. The league can't even keep a damn commissioner. Give me a break. You know, you don't sell something that's successful. If some billionaire came in and said, hey, I'll buy the entire league. Here's an extra $100 million to go into the bank account. They're not going to be like, well, we kind of want individual owners. No, they want money. They want a sustainable hockey league. They want to pay these women a livable wage. They don't give a damn where the owner's coming from, and don't kid yourself anywhere else. They're getting rid of their teams because they know one league's going to come down the road here. Maybe it's next year. Or the NHL steps up or a couple of big names step up and say, hey, the PWHPA has the best players. Let's make a four-team league. That's what I suggest. I say, hey, make a four-team league. You're going to have great competition. You're going to be able to spread out the talent efficiently. But again, now all of a sudden you got two teams in Canada, two teams in the States. Make sure you've got major TV deals. Make sure they're playing in prime time. Make sure they're on national TV every single week and promoted fairly. And that's what you need. You go any more than four teams, the talent gets watered down, and now all of a sudden you're hurting the quality of play. So my thoughts, is it, is it harsh? Yeah, it's probably a little harsh, but end of the day i i think that's the the honest way of how you build a sustainable league but all right we gotta head off to a commercial break when we come back we're gonna wrap it up uh the olympics with uh julie stewart bank she's gonna hop on the show it's cody james and world hockey report check out Quackstats, stats the most advanced player tracking technology quack stats presenting world hockey report every wednesday at noon <laughs> Oops, fans the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook unofficial sports betting partner of the NBA is too good to pass up I'm talking between the lags 360 windmill good new customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win it's that simple if the sportsbook isn't available in your state yet you can still take your shot at a big day payday everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings daily fantasy basketball contests download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now use promo code THPN, bet just one dollar on any NBA team and get one hundred and fifty dollars in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at Drafting Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See draftkings.com slash sportsbook for full list of requirements and state specific responsible gambling resources void where prohibited minimum five dollar deposit gambling problem call 1-800 gambler in Tennessee call the TN red line 1-800-889-9789 in Connecticut call 888-789-Quadruple 7 or visit CCP.org slash chat in New York call 877-8HOPENY or text HOPENY.
1: Take your game to the next level with Pro Rock Hockey Sticks. Pro Rock is changing the way we buy top-of-the-line twigs. They're lightweight, balanced, and provide the perfect kick point. Whether you're a pro hockey player or a beer league legend, Pro Rock Hockey Sticks are made for you. They're a price point you can't beat. So check them out today at ProRock.com. Play like a Pro Rock.
2: We do here is go back, 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 back. It's World Hockey report, Cody Jansen, coming to you live from the Pro Rock broadcast studios. Today, joined by CTV Regina's finest. It's Julie Stewart-Binks, host of Drinks with Binks, joining me on the line. Julie, I want to talk about the Olympics because we're recapping it. And obviously, the star-studded performance was the women on the ice again. I mean, millions and millions of people watched them, and Canada takes home gold. I I want your assessment of the tournament. Were were you surprised with how big of a stage this took, where the Olympic viewership in general was down, and also just on Team Canada? I mean, they were phenomenal, and we got treated to another world-class gold medal game.
0: Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. And uh, I haven't had my old job of CTV Regina being mentioned in an intro about me in quite some time right now. So I uh, appreciate the, the trip down memory lane. It was a great time working there about 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, the women's hockey tournament and the men's, but the women's most importantly was really fantastic to see the best of the best on display in one of the best rivalries really in sports. And I think that that was great for a wider audience to be able to see sort of like the depth of the rivalry, the expertise and the skill and the talent of the players. And just kind of understand how this, this isn't just like two teams going up against one another that have like bad blood. Like this is two countries that have this history back to 1998, that, of course has always been so tight. And so many of these players know each other from, whether they played college hockey together or they're playing in the PHL or the PWHPA. And it's very interesting to kind of see the dynamic. And, like, the hate is really real there, and um, which makes just, like, the passion about it so interesting. And and I love it. And that's why, like, going into that final gold medal game, I mean, there was so much buzz around it in the States. And part of that is because people kind of finally starting to understand. I think, like, social media helps a lot because there's a lot of really – uh, vocal supporters of women's hockey and, and sort of the wider audience is starting to to figure that out that this is something that they really should have their eyes on um and then also just like the men not making it past both of their rounds like they, the 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 u.s and, and canada that like all eyes were on this was the u.s canada rivalry that we were going to go see that we were expecting to see anyway but that this is the the one you know the one time that they were going to be facing each other for gold this olympics and so it, it was exciting to watch i have the utmost respect for both teams and both countries and the women on both sides i've had a chance to interview and to get to know and but really like the score didn't reflect i personally believe just like the talent that was on display for Canada and just how they dominated the game. And USA had so many good chances, but, and Renee DeBiel was just uh, absolutely incredible. I mean, there's, and, and, the, and she was incredible. And then of course, Marie Philippouin, and, and, and then the depth of the forwards, and even Sarah Fillier, who we've talked about, it was her rookie experience at the Olympics, just dominating. and And really it was, it was sort of like, Uh, unmatched like the USA did a very good job and Davia loses her stick with a uh, USA power play like the seconds left in the game and they score but like had that not happened I would have cashed in big on uh, I guess a Canada I guess I bet the Canada would win 3-1 I put a lot of bets on that game but that one unfortunately didn't hit but it was really the fact that it was a good game I think also helped showcase that everyone really needs to take this and take the numbers that we saw, like 3.54 million watched in the U.S., 2.7 million in Canada, and take this game to the next level. And it's like just trying to figure out what that looks like with being able to have one cohesive league that that the players are a part of and then have a broadcasting deal, broadcasting rights that are reflective of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's another half-an-hour conversation if we want to dive down that road. But Julie, I, I want to know, do you think this is the best Canadian team of all time? Although it's crazy that you picked them to win on the puck line because that's just not how Canada and USA play. But do you think this is the best Canadian team of all time?
0: Um, I mean, I haven't really done like the research in terms of how they would stack up to 2010 and 2014 and all these. But I, it feels as though they are, I mean, I think just the depth alone speaks to them being extremely well-rounded. And like, I I don't want to say they're the best of all time, but I think that they, if they're not the best, they're very close. Because it never felt like, I didn't feel like the title was ever in jeopardy. I knew that they would have a good game against the U.S. But, and they, unfortunately, the U.S. had lost Brianna Decker and that was a huge loss for them in the tournament. But I just felt like Canada, Was going to have their way no matter what. So I don't want to, you know, say this is the best team of all time, but I think that they are, uh, you know, one of the best teams in all of sports. Let's just put it like that.
2: Fine. Well, if you won't go on a limb, I'll say it. I think that they're better than the, the, the 2002 team. That was dominant. That was super fun to watch. I, I thought this year was just, you know, n- nothing really compares to it. Moving along, though, other events in the Olympics. Was there other things that stuck out to you? Obviously, in Canada, curling's huge, and it was just a big disappointment this year. Unfortunately, no one's, you know, taking home gold, which we're used to. But was there any other events, doesn't matter, Canadian, American, that stuck out to you that had you glued to the TV during the Olympics?
0: Well, I think, without a doubt, it was just the the figure skating competition and the controversy that was around it that had eyeballs on it that whether you were interested in figure skating or not, you were seeing history unfold in that a figure skater was allowed to compete despite a positive doping case. And because of the arbitrary sort of provisions that had been handed down from the Court of Arbitration for sport, this minor was allowed to compete and so that was something that was unique and was was really just sort of difficult to watch um, and it kind of really put into question the integrity, the ethical decision making, um, really the, the accountability of the organizations that are involved with running the Olympics and making sure that there's a fair competition, fair sport. So I think that the I was very curious about the women's free skate and it happened, you know, a couple hours after Canada won gold. So I didn't get up for it. I had to tell myself like, you got to sleep I had a big broadcast that day, but I watched it and then watched the replay afterwards. And it was just like, really? I mean, it wasn't like, Oh yay, this was like the, a great moment in history. It's like, this is a really tainted moment in Olympic history. And so it was really difficult to watch the women at the end and seeing Camilla Valieva just completely blow up in her free skate, falling all over the place uncharacteristically. And then just, you know, in tears with her coaches. And then just like everything that happened after that was uh, something I've never seen in my entire life. And it's really just like awful to see, the, the the three russian skaters you know they all had sort of like their place of where they were supposed to come and the one who finishes first wasn't really you know supposedly meant to get gold and then the second place woman like you know didn't want to accept the silver medal and there was all this sort of controversy and and we didn't know if there was going to be a medal ceremony at all because Valieva was supposed to be on the top 3 and it was like all this stuff was unfolding and it was, it's literally chaos in like Olympic history and it, it directly affects every other competitor too. And so I think that as much as there will be great moments for great athletes that competed at the Olympics and the stories of Atlanta Myers Taylor, uh, Bob Slutter who was, it had COVID was in isolation, came out, won a silver medal, you know, won a bronze medal as well. And, was it, you know, you have these interesting moments of adversity being met with, like, triumph. There wasn't a lot of that. There was a lot of adversity and adversity and adversity and adversity. And I felt really bad for a lot of the Olympians this Olympics because they were going through a lot of stuff that, that that is unprecedented and even more difficult than what the Olympians in Tokyo had to go through. So I think, like, that overall is sort of a bit of a deeper look at what kind of happened but if you wanted like a lighter answer to that and i guess like the freestyle skiing or something that was unique and and crazy to watch but sometimes it's hard to suspend your disbelief when you know this other stuff's happening at the games Well,
2: and you and Rod Black were probably my favorite follows during the Olympics. And a lot of it does come to the outspoken part. I like when people are unfiltered and actually give their own opinions. And you dove into the Russian scandal already. I mean, for one, my take is that that a Terry, the coach, the the female coach, she's got to go. I mean, they're screaming at her after they just won golds. They're just, I mean, they're bawling their eyes out. The one girl, maybe, maybe not, gives a finger to the camera. I, I, I mean, it was just an absolute disaster on the figure skating side. But I I also want to know when you think of solutions to the problem, do you think, you know, what's got to be done? Is it you got to ban, you know, People that are under eighteen from competing in the Olympics—if they're just going to get away with this based on the the fact that they're youth—does Russia have to be sanctioned harder? Should the the IOC crack down on them? We know it's not going to happen, but I mean, what a suspension of one or two, three, four Olympics off for Russia? Do you think that would teach them anything? Because clearly, naming them the Olympic athletes of Russia and then the Russian Olympic Committee has done absolutely nothing. So I, I don't know. I want the solution yeah. on you. Well, your if
0: they're yeah. If they were, you know, they're competing as you mentioned, and the fact that they had a huge doping scandal in 2014, and they're still allowed to compete. So what what you have to look at is like, what are you? What is your problem right here? It's like you have these younger athletes. So the doping was a because the girl was a minor. So if you're allowing minors to compete despite a doping case, you're actually now opening the door for more of this to happen. So then all of these younger skaters that are being groomed, now they're just going to be groomed even younger because, oh, now we've set the precedent that this is actually, uh, this is sort of, um, you know, flies under the radar. Like, oh, we found a loophole in the system. So now you're like exasperating the problem even more. And, And really like so much came to light about how a lot of these Olympians, they're one and done. They go to the Olympics, they compete, they're 16, 17, 15, and then they're almost like, quote unquote, too old for the next Olympics because their bodies have changed because the Russian coaches tried to get these figure skaters to be able to do these jumps, learn these jumps, do these quadru- quadruple jumps when- before their bodies have changed. And I'm a former competitive figure skater. I know exactly what that whole situation's like. It's very difficult with the physics of um, jumping. And, ch- and when your body changes and you have to like relearn your jumps, it's you know, really very challenging to keep up that kind of level of technicality when you do grow to be a woman and like, that's what they're trying to avoid is having these champions when they're younger. So you have to change the entire system then, because if you are allowing these skaters to skate that are younger, you're just really, you're still continuing the problem. So like you are going to eliminate this amazing technical ability of seeing the, you know, these skaters do five quad jumps, but like so many of them have all these problems with their health afterward and they aren't able to compete in another Olympics after this. And it's like, they're just discarded. And it's like this whole world that I, I hope someone does a documentary on. I'm not going to take that on myself, but like I think it's a really fascinating and also really sad situation for a lot of these women in Russia. So if you do put an age limit on there, which I don't see, president Thomas Bach had talked about even in his press conference, then you are going to be helping to save a lot of these people really like from a hum- human humanity standpoint, but you're also going to eliminate some of the extraordinary ability that we've seen in the Olympics and they just have to figure out what their goal is.
2: Do you think the IOC will ever actually crush it or, you know, sit down on Russia and say, Hey, you know what? It's crunch time here this has gone too far. Do you think the IOC would ever actually step up to the plate and do something like that?
0: Um, I mean, like right now, probably not because of everything going on in the world. But I think that once, um, I think that these Olympics really hurt the IOC. And I know that we've said this before, but I like, Oh, that they, they've had, they've had problems in the past, but I do really believe that, the greater public seeing these Olympics happen during the global pandemic and being under the microscope of seeing a lot of athletes not being able to keep, compete because of COVID or because, um, you know, now we have them being influenced by, oh, we're allowing someone who cheated to compete. Like there's so much more of a negative microscope on them that it, there's a ripple effect. Like we know that broadcasters and, corporations aren't going to have the moral compass to tell the IOC what they should do. But when it comes down to maybe the Olympians voicing their opinions or it having an impact on their future to be a part of this quote unquote Olympic movement, quote unquote Olympic dream, and it negatively affects them. That is when I think we will see the IOC change. And I do think that like it almost mirrors what we're seeing in our lives now with a lot of people quitting their jobs with a lot of people, you know, deciding they don't want to live the life that they've had in the past or like they're not okay with the status quo and, and even just like uprisings in uh, America and beyond for different reasons. Um, I think that I just don't see how I wouldn't have said this before, but I just don't see how the IOC can continue on in its current iteration. I know that they will try to do everything they can to do that. But I just don't think that they will be able to. And I also just don't think that they have the same kind of audience as they used to that has the ability to be entertained without understanding um, the negative aspects of it. Like most every single person knows how corrupt it is. And sometimes it's hard to find the joy in something when you know how tarnished it is.
2: Couldn't have said that any better. Julie Stewart-Binks, my guest here on World Hockey Board, Cody James. I've got two more for you, Julie, and we'll switch it around a little bit lighter here because I know you love figure skating, so join the club. Was it not a little sad that we couldn't watch Tessa and Scott this year? I mean, that that's just been the highlight of so many previous Winter Olympics of the past eight years plus. You know, like, was it a little bit sad on your behalf where you're just waiting, you're watching the pairs, and you're like, damn, I would just love to see them go for one more skate.
0: Well, um, we don't really necessarily get, like, all of the Canadian content in the States unless you decide to seek it out. So I would love to see them skate again. They were incredible ice dancers and, you know, captured so much of just this beauty and poise and Canadian spirit that everyone followed them for. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a little bit different in terms of how you what you get to see, the content you're seeing, um, and, and you know, I'm watching team. I'm watching a very American heavy broadcast, so that is a That's completely fair. different way of watching a broadcast right than when you are in Canada. it's It's just a different point of view completely. So it's kind of interesting in a way.
2: That's right. Okay. Well then let's talk about the TV side of things and we'll leave it at this NBC they they kind of come out and they're swinging for the fences right away is that they dive right into the human rights issue in China, the treatment of Uyghurs, you know, the camps that they are, you know, sending people to and stuff. Were you surprised to see NBC? I mean, it's the main Olympics rights holders really dig into China early, whereas CBC didn't mention it throughout the two, three weeks.
0: I think I was surprised because, I mean, as a rights holder, you have a relationship with the IOC that has a relationship with the host city and the host country. And I was, I knew that they said they were going to discuss geopolitical issues. I just didn't think that they would do it um, from the very start. And so that caught me off guard a bit, but I think they did a good job with helping the public understand, like, these are the things that are going on um, and that, like, that they didn't necessarily subscribe to the idea of sports washing, which is like where countries that have problems just use these big spectacles, big spectacles as sort of um, doing away with the issues that are going on in the country. It was like showing that these are the Olympics and the opening ceremony and everything. Then also like this is happening in a country that has human rights violations that's, you know, is problematic in X, Y, and Z different ways. And so I found that unique. I was sort of worried a little bit about maybe the safety of the broadcasters after having them sort of be robust in their negative uh, opinions toward China. And I think that I'm sure Canada would have had that feeling as well. And a lot of athletes were told, don't voice your opinions on human rights while you're there because we don't necessarily have the means to to protect you, which is already a problem in itself that athletes are going to a country to live out their dreams where they can't even speak their own mind, which is why there's been changes in who the how the host cities are chosen and whatnot. But China should not have been the host of these Olympics. And so I, I was thinking, well, you know, the, the whole situation, the two Michaels happened only a couple months ago. And that was something that even Canada was discussing, boycotting the Olympics over. And kind of people sort of forgot about that, but I'm not surprised that, that that Canada didn't say as much as they as maybe the US. I would be more surprised if the US and NBC said as much as they did. But I'm glad that they did because people need to have that understanding and that this is what's going on. And I think that NBC also felt like a responsibility as as being sort of part of part of the problem because they do fund the IOC. So I think that this is a way for them to sort of get out ahead of the critics.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a a perfect explanation. I I could never see Canada doing it. As you said, the corruption lies a little bit too deep within Canada, and it's just they aren't willing to step on the IOC's toes. But, Julie, this has been unreal. I want to give you the the platform here, though. I mean, plug what you're up to now. I know you've got Drinks With Binks. You've had incredible guests on. I'd love to know if you could tell people to download one episode. If you want to get people hooked on one episode with Drinks With Binks, what's the first one you're sending them to?
0: Well, I think if we're know, world hockey report, I would oh. tell them to watch my episode with John Cooper when they won the Stanley cup in the bubble. And we had a chat afterwards. We had a little crown Royal and celebrated the Stanley cup win. And it was great. Just kind of being able to go kind of off the cup with him and talk to him without it being like a standard sort of interview. And that's probably one of my favorites. And yeah, you can check them all out on YouTube at Fubo Sports, and our, if you have Fubo TV, which is now available in Canada, you can check it out on Fubo Sports. It comes with the package, where it's free. Fubosportsnetwork.com. Drinks of thanks. And I'm also right now working on this new show called PFL Challenger Series, which is an MMA fighting show meets sort of like American Idol. So we have eight fights a night. Four, four winners and there's one contract given out at the end of the night, but then there's a chance to win a million dollars. So it's kind of a cool premise and something completely new for me. So we are we're staying busy during uh, what has been a weird two years, but we're getting through it.
2: That's awesome. Well, hey, it's, it's awesome to catch up with you. Good to see that. I mean, you're succeeding even after the Sasky days. It's awesome. Julie, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
2: Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the lags, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If the sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big day payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21-plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call the TN Red Line, 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call triple eight seven eight nine 789 seven or visit ccp.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY.
1: Take your game to the next level with Pro Rock Hockey Sticks. Pro Rock is changing the way we buy top-of-the-line twigs. They're lightweight, balanced, and provide the perfect kick point. Whether you're a pro hockey player or a beer league legend, Pro Rock Hockey Sticks are made for you. They're at a price point you can't beat. So check them out today at ProRock.com. Play like a Pro Rock.
0: We do here just
2: go back, 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 back. It's Cody Jansen World Hockey report coming to you live from the Pro Rock broadcast studios. And let's talk some Canadian NHL teams. It's been a while, it's been a lot of Olympic talk, which is fun, but the NHL still going on. It's still king. Let's snap it over to Adam Trout now in Saskatchewan. Erm, buddy, what's happening? How are you?
3: Not much. I mean, Lots of things on the go in Saskatchewan here. So it's it's been good.
2: You got the castle lined up to buy two. So that'll be fun. Some big news. World Hockey board house, no big deal. Er, er, I mean, we're, we're having fun with it. But for the Flames, they're really having fun with it. Like 10 straight under center. That's a team that's buzzing. As you said, they got some great value contracts right now. They've got one of the hottest goalies in the Pacific. Like everything is clicking right now in flameland.
3: Yeah, there's there's not much going wrong and I think I tweeted out the other day they can win a game six one and or they can win a game two one and have it be an absolute snooze fest like it was on Monday against Winnipeg. But getting contributions from, you know, a lot of different places in their lineup, I think I'm still maybe worried about the the overall forward depth, but as far as the back end and the goaltending, I mean they have a guy who's gonna be probably finished second in the Vesna just but other than that, I mean they, they don't allow much and you know, things are going good in Calgary.
2: Do you think, and I know it's a, a long shot, if the Rangers miss the playoffs, is that Markstrom's ticket for a Vesna then? If you can say, okay, yeah, he brought him to the playoffs and Shesterkin didn't?
3: Yeah, I, I think that's pretty big hypo- hypothetical, though. I mean, Shesterkin, what's he got like a 938 save percentage, of that? that would have to come down quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I think Markstrom would be second. I can't even really think of who else right now like maybe juicy Soros or billy huso's gonna go that far but he's only gonna he's only gonna play 35 games
2: yeah st louis has a goaltending situation on their hand right there like i mean a month and a half ago we were talking about like oh could you get who for like a second in a prospect and now it's like good luck without a first and then like an actual player that's the only way you're getting him out of st louis right now he seems like the real deal so back to the flames though They're getting contributions all around, but I think you got to eat your words on Coleman there. Like this depth that they've added up front too, it's really rounded out their lineup. And I mean, you can talk about the defense, the goaltending's great, but end of the day, they're getting consistent production out of multiple lines of forwards. And I think that's the difference maker right now.
3: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think... They obviously have the go-to line, but after that, their second and third line are both kind of whatever you want to call it, 2A, two 2B two type lines. Um Coleman and Backlund's year didn't start out good, but in their last 20 games, Coleman's got 14 points, Backlund's got 13. Um, and even the third line now with the addition of Tofoli, he's only got the, I guess, one, two goals if you count the empty net in four games, but he's kind of reignited Sean Monaghan, who scored a nice goal on Monday, and, and Lou is on that line, and even a guy like Adam Razichka who kind of came up from Stockton and has six points in 14 games. So I think that, you know, they're getting a lot of contributions and even from their back end too, you got Tana, Van Der with eight to 10 points and Shillington as well. So they're getting contributions from a lot of different places. And I mean, the top line's been ridiculous. 31 and 30 points for Goudreau and Kachuk in their last 20. And I mean, Elias Lindholm scored in eight straight games.
2: Do you think they'll actually finish top in the Pacific though?
3: cool that's a good question um I don't know I mean the streak's all been done at home and it's either you play well at home or you don't and I mean they've been using the saddle zone to their advantage Vegas I don't know I I think that they still got some things to figure out they still have Alec Martinez uh who hasn't played uh Mark Stones on IR so I don't know if they get better with uh with Jack Eichel it seems like a Riley Smith trade's inevitable and like, I don't think anybody's really sold with what they have in net right now. So, I don't know. I think there's more question marks with Vegas than Calgary, where Calgary, you know what you're going to get. and Vegas, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts there. So, I'll say yes to that.
2: Fair. I would still love to see an Edmonton-Calgary playoff series, though, wouldn't you? Like, if we got that, I'd be happy for the next 10 years. Like, that's all I want to yeah. see. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I was saying. With after all the crap we've gone through the last three years, this might be the hockey gods rewarding us with an Edmonton-Calgary.
2: Yeah, the government deserves. You know, we're owed that. Like, screw my taxes this year. Just, just give me a Calgary-Edmonton playoff series, and I want to go seven-two. Because I know if we get a Calgary-Edmonton series and it's a sweep either way, I'm just going to be just as pissed off. Like, that's a waste of time. Exactly do you think Edmonton's got a chance though to finish number three or are they kind of one of those teams where it's not a lost cause here but the way we were talking this season it was Stanley Cup potential like Stanley Cup or bust is where people are at with this team right now like this is a club with the two of the best players in the NHL and anything less than that's kind of a failure is it not
3: yeah uh I don't know if a failure I think Whatever it is with, with this core of guys. And I think in 2017, when they made it to the, I guess they only won a round and, and then lost to the Ducks, I think winning two rounds would definitely be a step in the right direction. I mean, they haven't won a playoff round for, I think it's five years. So, yeah, it, it's a disappointment any year that you have, you know, two of the best players in the world and you're only barely getting into the playoffs would obviously be a disappointment. But until I think that they still just have a ways away. I mean, you look at, their back end and they're, they have a, a couple of young guys who are knocking on the door to, to be NHL players. And up front, they it's been years of bad drafting up front. And I think that they're still waiting to get those guys, you know, on the, the good value entry level deals that I don't think they have yet. I mean, Ryan McLeod's played well. We'll like, see like Joe a I'm Trevor
2: egress. That'd be nice.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you look at the last couple teams and you need those types of guys to to play well. And I mean, I guess Tampa is maybe the exception just because everybody there is underpaid with the state tax and all that, but you need a guy like that. And I'm not sure Edmonton's getting, you know, the best value for their contracts right now.
2: Here's my thing about why this season's a failure without a cup is because who are you going to be riding? If you go to that Western conference final, if you win two rounds, who's the likely starter,
3: Adam Stewart Skinner.
2: No, it's not. It's Mike Smith.
3: Well, oh, I no. that's what I'm no. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be. I'm saying if you win oh. those two rounds, it's going to be Stuart Skinner. Like, I, I'm sure it will be Mike Smith. And who knows? Maybe they trade Miko Koskinen in and say, we're going to run with Skinner because obviously Woodcroft knows him well. Woodcroft knows how to play him. So we'll see. Um, but I think that's probably their best chance at this point.
2: Yeah, but if they're going in playoffs, I would bet the farm it's going to be Mike Smith. And so now all of a sudden you win those two rounds and come next year, he's just going to be a year older. He's just going to be a year slower, a year more injury prone. So what did you really benefit where, you know, you you kind of got to either go down swinging or, you know, what are you waiting for? Because NHL playoff experience is so valuable as teams like Pittsburgh have, I mean, look at the whole flurry Murray, Jari train, you know why? Cause they had playoff experience. They were up there. If Stuart Skinner is going to be the third goalie in the, those playoff runs, it does nothing for them. So instead of going down swinging with Smith and being like, well, we might win a round or two with them, go with the young guy and build actually do something about it. That's, that's my issue right now with this team.
3: Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, you're, you have to lose before you have to win. I think that's all been very apparent. Like Tampa got swept by Columbus, right? Um, Toronto still hasn't even even won. Washington was, was a ten years. Pittsburgh still was a couple of years. They lost in the final before they won. So you have to lose before you have to win. And for Edmonton, I mean, they haven't really lost any, anything, right? I mean, they've they've lost the in the bubble and they got swept by Winnipeg, but you haven't really lost anything.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of things. I, I would say a costume and trade makes sense because you're not moving Smith. I just don't see anyone really taking him. Tyson Berry, you could probably do away with him. You know, that's, that's a guy where yeah. Bouchard is obviously taking his spot. You could say, like, like not directly, like, oh, he's a perfect replacement for Tyson Berry. But I think with that experience asset, you got to give Bouchard that time, that opportunity right now to play that role. And then up front, you know, we, we said it all along. Like, what are you doing with guys like Kyle Turris, you know, Colton Sevier, even Perlini to some aspect, Derek Ryan. You know, these are guys, and, and Adam, I tweeted it out. I don't know if you saw that. Bobby Ryan last year was averaging more points per game on a pretty pathetic Detroit team than, you know, like yeah. nine or ten of the Oilers' forwards right now. How is that even possible? Like, e- even if you're not playing directly with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisidel, that means you're getting the, the other team's worst forward lineups and worst defense. And you're still struggling to produce worse than Bobby Ryan at, what, 36 on a Detroit team where he's playing with nobody's? Oof, that's scary.
3: Uh, yeah, it is. And, I mean, some of that, I guess you can maybe throw Jay Woodcroft's kind of new new style into this where he's not playing the guys, you know, six, seven minutes a game. He's kind of starting to rely more on his top three lines. And uh, Derek Ryan's played well the last the last month. I've been very critical of him, as you as you know, and as a Saskatchewan Husky supporter. As yeah, you, you just know, hate but...
2: the U of A Golden Bears.
3: Yeah, I mean, him and Warren Fogle have played better, and I, I think Woodcroft's maybe done something with their ice time. Where it's like we're running with our three lines, and then after that, I mean, like it, it was—it's crazy the last couple of years. Devin Shore—he's never gonna—he's never gonna help you offensively. I mean, he's just out there to not get scored on, and I think that's probably the you one the wrong of the mentality. Oilers four
2: or five playoff goals last year.
3: Yeah, oh, I completely forgot. I think Juju Karra had one too, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, as far as Tyson Barry goes. I think the writing's probably on the wall from that's just around 5 million bucks. You probably can't afford starting next year, given that, you know, Cody CC's played awesome the last, probably the whole year I'd say. And then Bouchard's there, you could probably replace Tyson Berry. Like I, I put it out there the other day. Why wouldn't like a Luke Shen Tyson Berry deal work out? Like, I mean, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but that's the type of player I think Edmonton would need and want maybe playing in that bottom pairing. So then they can stop. Flipping Bouchard here, there, and everywhere and playing him 14 minutes and then 20 minutes in, and give him more of a defined role, opposed to Tyson Berry, who has eight points in his last 20. I don't think he scored since I, I went to the game in November, the Rangers game. So, yeah, I was in the elevator for that one.
2: Okay, that's that's an interesting point there. Uh, what, what do you make of their loss against Minnesota? Like, obviously, they got shellacked by the Wild. But, like, is that one where you're kind of just like, yeah, that's like game five and, what, seven or eight nights? Or is that like, hey, this is a major red flag. Like, this team can't keep up with Minnesota, and that's sad.
3: No, I mean, also, I'll, I'll say this. Edmonton is, hasn't played well against Minnesota in 15 years. Um, that's probably a good point there. But, no, I Lost think that, 150 you know,
2: bucks on them, so, you know, still there. Yeah, that was,
3: that was crazy. How about St. Louis being an underdog tied at intermission against Toronto? Like, thank you. Um, but, no, I think it's five and seven nights. You, you had a big win against... Winnipeg the day before a team who you're probably more worried about with the wild card. And I mean, obviously there's an issue with Mike Smith starts and and how that goes, but I, I wouldn't really read into it. I think maybe they looked ahead to where they said, okay, we got Minnesota here on a Sunday night or whatever, but then we, we really have to buckle down for whatever, whatever it is, Tampa, Florida, Carolina. So I wouldn't read into it. I think that, you know, the next three games of the whole, you should probably look at than just the, the one or whatever.
2: Okay, I found the tweet. Bobby Ryan at $1 million last year at .42 points per game on a Detroit team that won 19 games. That's more than Zach Cassian, Kyler Yamamoto, Warren Fogle, Derek Ryan, Brendan Perlini, Ryan McLeod, Kyle Terris, Devin Shore, Colton Sevier, and Tyler Benson. They're all producing less than that. So a little bit of an oof there. I get your point on the ice time and all that, but uh, just throwing it out there, pretty disappointing if you're looking at the the bottom six. It's honestly a bottom nine forwards right now, if you're looking at the Oilers roster. Hey, break down this Toronto trade, because you seemed a lot more fired up than most people about it. I, I don't even, like I I don't want to say I don't follow it, but like, come on, these guys are irrelevant to me. They're not moving the needle on either team.
3: Yeah, I, that's kind of the thing, right? I mean, they got Billy Labushkin from Arizona, and I mean, a good defender and stuff, but a comment I saw today was, does he even have a hockey stick, because he just has Absolutely no offensive ability. Like I mean, he's he's out there to once again not get scored on. And from the Leafs' point of view, Timothy Lilligren has four points in his last seven games and is a plus three. And it's not like they've been playing well. I, I think Jake Muzzin's play, and you know, you hope he's healthy at this point, but his play has tailed off extremely, like extreme an extreme amount this year. So I think that's a that's a big issue for the Leafs. And they're talking today. They said, well. Jake Muzzin, he's only going to do good if you have a partner who's just as good as him or better, and they're not finding him, so I think that they're trying to find a player in Labushkin. Like they said, he's like Roman Polak, and sure he can stop the cycle, but if he gets it out of your zone, you're playing four on five, and I'm not sure if he's better than Timothy Lillegrand or Justin Hall, and I mean, Justin Hall hasn't played very well either this year, but at least he knows the system and has been there a bit, and I don't think Toronto's down on the back end, at least they shouldn't be, but I, I mean, you give up Nick Ritchie, who you had to sign to a two year deal, who hasn't been good for four years and you give up a second or third round pick out of it. So I guess I get why the Leafs did it to add some playoff stats because they're so de- desperate. I mean, last year, what they do, they gave up a third round pick for a game and a half of David or Rick, So yeah.
2: Yeah, questionable moves. And as you said, I mean, you've always been a huge Kyle Dubas supporter, so I'm no surprise to see you take that side. Hey, last one for you. The Montreal Canadiens, they're kind of back a little bit here. Cole Caulfield seems to be finding his groove. Do you think they're on to something with bringing in St. Louis, Le Cavalli, and those guys? Or do you think it's kind of a, you know, let's take some of the spotlight off the players on the ice and some of the stuff that's gone down with the organization? And let's, you know, put a little bit of heat off the ice. I'm being like, well... You're kind of just hiring old players who had success.
3: Yeah, but maybe a bit of both. I mean, the like Cavier move. I was like, geez, like busy. Like they're just hiring all their friends there. And I mean, you you live in Edmonton. I I live a couple hours away from Edmonton. We've seen the old boys club and how that can how that can change things. Um, but no, Saint Louis. I mean, by everything he said, you know, he wants to be there. He wants to be. The head coach, I, I find it weird how he was coaching peewee hockey and then is coaching the Montreal Canadiens. But, you know, it, guys like him know and how much coaching experience did Rod Grindamore have before he just all of a sudden became the best coach in the NHL. So, oh,
2: you know, the guys days. know
3: and, you know, and guys know and St. Louis obviously is a very hard worker. You've seen that picture of his legs I tweet out every now and then. But, yeah, I think another thing with Montreal too and Elliot's, Elliot Friedman said today, Jeff Petrie, obviously wants out of there. I mean, he doesn't really see a path in his, uh, in his playing career to kind of back to the, the playoffs of Montreal. And I think they kind of got on him a bit just to play better because he was horrible this year. And Josh Anderson too. I mean, maybe there's guys there who are seeing other guys move and they, they kind of see, okay, like we're, we're clearly tanking here. Maybe if I can play well enough to give, give uh Kent Hughes a chance to, get rid of us then, and get actual assets for us, then maybe maybe they've woken up a bit too.
2: That's a fair point right there. Adam Ermentrout, appreciate it, buddy. We'll see you on the weekend. Thank you. Adam Trout right there. Coming to you live on World Hockey Report. Be sure to go to DraftKings. He's promo code THPN. And of course, if you missed any of the show, download the podcast, the Hockey Podcast Network. Until next week, everyone, be kind, be better.